The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Kia ora koutou. welcome to a summary issue of Dietary Requirements, the spin-off's food podcast. We've taken a break for uh, Christmas to eat and drink with our families rather than our listeners, but that means you get to re-listen to some of our favourite episodes of the year. This one was a real privilege. We got to speak to Monique Fiso about her incredible new book, Hiakai, named after her restaurant. And I foraged in the uh, nearby bushes of the Morningside shrubbery and made some tea from Kawakawa and we learned all about the renaissance of Kai Māori. Kia ora. No my Harimai ki dietary requirements, the Spinoff's food podcast. Each month we get together to talk about the cultural, social and political role of food in Aotearoa with some of the buzziest people in the local scene. I'm your host Simon Day and as always I'm joined by the Spinoff's food editor Alice Neville Kia ora. and hospo boss Sophie Gilmore. Kia ora, Simon. The podcast and all our food coverage at the Spinoff would not be possible without the support of our wonderful sponsor Freedom Farms. They believe that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how those animals have been raised. Their pork, bacon and free-range eggs are delicious and we wouldn't be here without them, so please eat their products. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Chef Monique Fiso. Uh, her CV makes me feel very inadequate. She's just 32 and is one of the most important chefs New Zealand's ever produced. After cooking in some of New York's best restaurants, she returned home and has been at the forefront of the revitalization and celebration of Kai Māori, looking at the techniques and ingredients of our indigenous culture. She starred on Netflix and National Geographic shows. Her restaurant, Hiokai, was listed on Time magazine's 100 Greatest Places in the World, and she's just released a stunning book, also called Hiokai, and it traces her personal journey the history of Kai Māori, and guides readers on how to incorporate Indigenous ingredients and techniques into their own cooking. Thank you for joining us, Monique. It's really cool to have you here. And thank you for having me here. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. It's so much more than a cookbook. What were you trying to achieve with it? Well, I think uh, what I wanted to achieve was not just create a book that was a selection of recipes, but create a book that I was struggling to find, which was something that had the um, ingredients and also some tips on how to use the ingredients, um, as well as a bit of 
background history in general because I think, um, I can't, you know, just having a selection of recipes with no context um, into what we were using wasn't wasn't going to help anybody. Um, and I also wanted to help people sort of create their own path or with the ingredients themselves. So rather than me going, this is what we've done and this is the only, we're just going to show you, you know, what we've figured out how to do with it. I wanted to be like, this is what we've done and this is what we figured out, but also this is what you could do and here's some information and you can go and take that and do what you like with it and hopefully we'll see um, some of that on menus in the future. Because that whole idea has been a big part of what you've done since you've returned to New Zealand because the way we've thought about uh, kai Māori and its value has been a little bit undercooked until now in many ways. Yeah, and I think that comes down to, um, well, one, traditionally Māori history has been an oral history um, and, you know, since colonisation, I don't want to get too deep into that. There has well, it's been important. a bit of I don't a think disconnect. We should be afraid of you know, there's been a lot of lost information, mm. and um, things that would normally be passed down haven't been passed down. Um, and yeah, I think not having something to get out of the library or go and purchase and just sit down and read to understand things has kind of made it a bit harder to delve into the subject so I think one of the biggest things I wanted to do with this book was kind of not answer every question when it comes to Kaimori because there's still so much more to learn but at least give people um, a starting point or at least pass on what I've learned so far to date um, to help people begin their journey. Sounds like the recipes are the easy part of the book. <laughs> the recipes you must have done so much research. The recipes were the easy part, yeah. you know, and it was funny because the publishers were like, so the recipes, you know, like, are you struggling with it? you need any help with that? I was like, that is the last yeah. thing I need help with. Yeah. I just need time to make sure that, like, everything else is correct, you yeah. know, and the rest will follow. And, and that is a, a 100% how it played out. And it was kind of funny looking back because – I was given six months to write the book and I took two years. And the list, if you look through, there's so many, um, if you look in my Google Drive, there's so many drafts of like how the chapters are going to play out. And the original list of what the recipes were and what they eventually ended up being in the book were totally different. Right. And that was because over that time, um, we were learning more and more um, about different ingredients mm. and how to use them that it was kind of like, there's not, wasn't it? looking back now if I was to do it again I wouldn't have even bothered trying to write what the recipes were going to be back yeah. in 2018 I would have just left that until I'd finished writing the first two and then just kind of gone alright now we do that part but you, you know it was my first time writing a book and I don't think it's a I mean you guys at the spin off write every day and you know it's it's a messy but beautiful process and I don't know it's made me feel like oh cooking is not that hard (laughs) who who has been your kayako who has guided you in helping you learn these histories and these techniques and about the ingredients um definitely well there's two people I would point to immediately and one would be Joe McLeod who um he is based in Wellington and he was a chef for for years and years and years um he's Still occasionally does the Otangi and workshop, but um, he has just a wealth of knowledge. And I was put in touch with him by uh, Casey and Karina, 
um, the two um, MasterChef winners. Mm. And it just happened, we were having a glass of wine, and I said, do you guys know anybody who has a bit more knowledge about this? And they go, there's a guy, here's his email address. They scribbled it down. I emailed him. He emailed back in full today and I'm not fluent at all so then I called my cousin and said can you help me out I need to translate this email so I can respond to him and try to set up a meeting and it was kind of funny I was like maybe he's trying to see how serious I am you know like what did he um, say was the reason that um, he just wrote back in today he's just Joe he's yeah I've I've since learned that he's just an interesting character um but so basically what happened was um I met up with him and he took me basically on a series of bushwalks for an entire summer and then we would just go through um, some of the stuff he's learnt. Um, he has this little study at his house full of all these books, like the whole collection from Elsden Best and just all these notes and just folders of things he's um, collected over time and I pretty much spent months of my summer just sitting there reading them and still borrowing books from him to this day. Um, so he was definitely one person who helped me really <clears throat> like deepen my knowledge. And another person was Tracy Burner, who is the co-author of the book. So she's um, a professor at Auckland University and she spent a lot of time, she also um, co-authored some books with Robert Oliver, so her focus has been on um, Polynesian ingredients and Polynesian food history, um, as well as New Zealand food history. So she was somebody who um, had a lot of knowledge, not necessarily as a chef, but like a lot of history, I guess, uh, with customs and um, techniques and interesting she was, I mean, I learned so much about how to research from her as well, you know, like beyond Google and going to, you know, your, your obvious places, but like little tips and tricks that you would know if that is literally your profession. Yeah. So it was, it's been so a really awesome journey. So interesting, like such an academic process, hey? Yeah. Because food is so much more than just cooking and eating. It tells you about who you are and where you come from. And, yeah. And has that been something you're sort of actively approached with Hiakai, both the book and the restaurant, or and, yeah. and your pop-ups as well? Yeah, I think it's always been an interest for me in general. I've always been a real history geek um, from as young as I can remember, um, constantly getting out books, like history books as a, as a kid, and being way more interested in the History Channel than reality TV um, and that's just it's kind of so I feel like quite lucky that I've been able to integrate a, a lot of things that like fascinate me into a living yeah. um, I've always kind of found like food is delicious but I've always been interested as to why things are the way they are or how things end up being created and usually they're created at, because of climate or something going on socially or um, you know there's a lot of and I just find it really fascinating and I think that's what kind of keeps me ticking Um, and so you know being in a position where I get to do this but with my own culture is really really cool um, to find out the reasons why and 
then also kind of add another layer onto that for future generations. Did you feel like it was kind of time for someone to put a modern lens or modern cooking techniques um, with those ingredients? I mean, I know oh, Katerina sure. and Casey um, were doing a bit of it, but it sort of feels like such a great moment that was needed. Oh, for sure. I think when you've learnt... Um, you built like a you know a skill set as a chef. Uh, to me, it made sense to use that to put it towards mm. my own culture rather than something else. I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt. Was it just felt like the natural path for me to take what I'd learned and in kitchens and um, different techniques from different cuisines um, and apply it to my own heritage. Are you just cooking with native ingredients every day, like at home? At home? Oh, that'd be... Hmm. Katie and I work... Um, yeah, you're like, we're crazy. Home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't eat at home. <laughs> it would, yeah, that's, something, that's a work in progress. Um, the industry requires us to work a lot of hours sometimes. Um, yeah. I would like to do more no at home. <laughs> I would like to do more at home, but at, at the restaurant, it's every day, every day. And I think sometimes, you know, like... Um, you know, I will look at, you know, you get so lost in the day to day that sometimes, you know, you got to take a pause and go. Look, we're actually playing around with ingredients that like no one else is playing, like is using. Yeah, we should just like kind of take a moment to think about how awesome that is, just for totally. a second. Have you found, um, like, who is your ideal person to be reading the book? Have you found like young chefs are getting? more into looking at this idea of using indigenous ingredients through what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Who is my ideal person to be reading the book? I think the the book I definitely had young chefs in mind um, mm-hmm. as people who'd be interested in the information um, and definitely people who had been constantly sliding into the DMs with questions. Yeah. So I was like, hopefully this answers yeah. a lot of those questions that keep coming like, through. Can I go for coffee and pick your brain for yeah, a minute? Yeah, I, I get that a lot. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. My mum can't get coffee with me at the moment. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I definitely had that person in mind. I also had, um, you know, people who were just interested in... I, want, I wanted to create a little bit of a, a history book as well for people who just had a general interest in... Mm. Um, food history so those were sort of my two ideals um of people who might be interested in the book so will success to you look like more restaurants in new zealand serving indigenous ingredients or more home cooks foraging and getting their hands on it i think a success to me will look like definitely seeing a little bit more in restaurants Mm. but also home cooks or people just understanding yeah, like pointing to the some of the ingredients or some of the plants in there and going and knowing what that plant totally. is. Totally, it's just it's familiarity, of. isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what success to me will look like is just you know the average person going, oh, that's red matipo. You can infuse it into a syrup and make a sorbet with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and that just being common knowledge. Yeah, that would be awesome. Are you? It? Do you ever think about? the implications of like non-Māori chefs getting really into like do you worry about cultural appropriation or Um, what do you think I think everybody has a right to 
experiment with the ingredients and I encourage everyone to learn more about this and experiment with the ingredients and so long as they're doing it in a respectful way which in the book it it goes through like Mm -hmm. what those customs are and like how to do it respectfully then great yeah yeah real little things that I loved in the book like the idea of when you forage taking a third leaving a third for the next generation and leaving a third for regeneration is Mm. such a cool. cool way to think about uh, our place in the food system as a whole. Exactly. I mean, we, with the foraging that we'll do for the restaurant, we have our spots, and I'm not going to say them on the podcast, mm-hmm. otherwise we're going to have a room <laughs> restaurant is in like, Is it like that? Is also, it like surfing where it's like secret spots? <laughs> we have a few secret spots. Some of the other, like, chefs... Well, other restaurants sometimes like can we come with you guys and then we do and then we're like oh maybe we shouldn't have because now we're gonna see them out there like every monday or tuesday um but we uh we kind of we'll focus on a spot for a bit and then we kind of will move on and leave like because we just know that like if you go in somewhere and you take everything then there's going to be nothing when Mm. you come and then you is that's the complete opposite of you know Yeah, is that a um, Māori custom? Because I went to um, cooking school in Ireland and that was a technique that we were taught as well and I guess they kind of claimed it as like an Irish foraging technique. So Hmm. maybe it's just the international... Yeah, I think it's just... Respect for what you're doing. For for Earth. Yeah. 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 And the regeneration, it's key. Yeah. How important has foraging become to everything that you do? Because it's, you know, it's something that has very much been associated with the Monique Fiso Hiakai brand. Yeah. But it, it, is it the only way for you to source some of these ingredients? Um, it's actually getting a lot easier. Like, so, like quite a few ingredients that we weren't able to source in the early years, we're now able to get through some suppliers, um, really cool. which is pretty awesome. You there know, was like a buzzy guy on um, Country Calendar. Peter Langland? Yes, he's, in Wellington. And he walks around with bags, bit. like, picking up beautiful flowers. Yeah, and, and I was thinking yeah, at the time, I was like, I bet, ages. like, here, Kai. He's not Wellington, is he? No, he's Canterbury. Yeah. Oh, yeah. was he? And occasionally he does come up, though. Um, he comes in, uh, one of our suppliers, uh, Scott McNeil from Awatoru, he'll go and forage with him. Yeah. Um, and we will often get a message saying, oh, Peter and I are going out to this area we might have we might find this 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 and this if we do are you interested in any um ah, and they cool. won't yeah it's kind of a bit quirky like yeah. the way they do it and it's kind of a hypothetically bit, if we find some yeah, are hypothetically you if we find this thing <laughs> yeah. do you want some yeah and then we'll be like yeah okay and then they'll it'll just show up or maybe it won't but like don't hold your breath it's quite he is a very he was very so, um like Almost like meditative when he was doing it. Hey, he was like walking around. It's like quite a buzzy dude that had he had a real um, appreciation for, you know, the what was happening with the ingredients, but more was specifically interested in his role in it. He's like, you know, off they go and do fancy things in restaurants, but he just walks around and knows every single plant in New Zealand. It was really impressive. Amosfield hired him as their forager. Wow. Imagine being a full-time... What are you, I'm a a full-time forager. Like a census form. And his partner, Melanie, I think her name's Melanie, apologies if it's not... Her name's not Melanie. I think she... um, I think she's quite into foraging too. I think she also... Um, does quite a bit on her own um, 
for her own learning. I've seen a little bit. You know, they up. take people out on little foraging They do the occasional workshop. I wonder if they like met in the bush, like over, <laughs> yeah. over, oh, over a kawakawa plant. Yeah, he tripped over a kawakawa plant. Yeah. What? So as with the with these uh, recipes, um, are the ingredients mostly available, or should I be sort of keeping an eye out when I'm jogging in the Waitakere bush for things? Like yeah. How accessible are the things that we're using in the book? That's a good question, um, and that was a, an interesting topic. Is I was deciding like what to include in the book and what not to. Um, yeah, because I was like, oh, okay, some of these things that, you know, some people might never be able to get. But I thought, okay, well, I'll just include some of them because it's just important to know about them or it, it will be of interest to somebody out there. Um, I would say that probably 60% of them are pretty easily accessible um, if you were going for a walk in the Waitakere Ranges. Um, you would find Kawakawa, Horopito, Pickle Pickle, um, maybe the kiki stems they might not be blooming or just yet, but you might see those. Um, Takuka, uh, Nikau palm, you know, you'll find a lot of those, but maybe some of the other ingredients you might not, you know, it would just be scarce. What about things like titi and uh, wicker? Like, how easily can I get my hands on that sort of protein? Befriend <laughs> somebody from um, from Natahu for yeah. the TT. TT in season, I think some. I know, like yeah. my food writer friends have tried. You can kind of order it. Yeah. At the certain time. You Weka, definitely can. I remember when I interviewed you a couple of years ago. Weka, you just had it. It's only was only legal on to hunt it on the yeah. Chathams, right? It's only legally hunted on the Chathams, and somebody like. You need to know someone who's on the Chathams who has a permit and then they are allowed to send it to you. You're not allowed to purchase it. So they gift it to you as a koha um, and you can't then legally... Like I wouldn't be allowed to then put it on the menu. Sure. I would be in deep, deep right. trouble. Yeah, um, so you're experimenting and there was a lot of um, stuff on your Instagram like oh, yeah, Kentucky it's a Fried Wicker. bird. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's got... I don't know. I I thought that it would be really similar to duck. Um, it's not. Right. Um, not by a long shot. And it had this layer of fat that was quite yellowy. Oh. Um, and really thick. And it just like leached. Yeah. It just kept rendering the fat off and spitting everywhere. And the meat, the skin crisped up pretty good. But the meat, it wasn't as tender as I thought it would be. It did tender if I braised it, but right. I, but the smell as well was just, it was super gamey, gamey. and funky, and I was had like the extractors on, and Oof. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, this is this is intense, you know? This isn't, yeah. It's a tough it, it's not a It's not a duck. But did leg. you find a, a way to cook it that yeah. was good? Because I think that's something that uh, is really important important to everything you do it's not just about using crazy cool interesting yeah. ingredients it has to taste good at the it end. does at the end of that it needs to taste good um otherwise what's the point you know um i think there's sometimes you can have things that are polarizing or interesting but you, you kind of got to still have something that is palatable. Um, the well, wicker, too. Like people like being challenged, don't they? But but yeah, only so far. But only so far. Um, 
the, so if I found my hands on some wicker, yeah. what should I do? What should you do? Um, knowing what I know now, I would probably just trim the skin off to start with um, and then cure it for maybe eight hours with a little bit of salt and some herbs and a little bit of sugar. Then I'd wash the cure off and then probably try braising it. And hopefully like the curing and the brining will break down some of that meat a little mm-hmm. bit before um, starting to braise it. But yeah, I've definitely learned that braising it was the best way. And that no matter how low and slow I tried to roast it or confit it, it was never going to break down as well as if I just right. braised it. What's been your with pumpkin and boil up broth recipe in here? It looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. Travel to the Chathams for that one. Yeah, What's your um, most delicious discovery? We are like, oh my God, that most is the most delicious, delicious thing discovery. I've ever had. Ooh, I can think of... Let's pick one. The the one that was definitely very peculiar and made me question what we had in the jars um, was when we worked with Kierke Blossoms the first time and Joe was the one who called us up and said, oh my gosh, you've got to come out to this area in Wellington. Not going to say where it is. <laughs> um, the whole hillside's got Kierke Blossoms. They're just going crazy. I haven't seen it like this in years. So we went on this big mission as a team and we got as many as we could and we were like what do we even do with this and he's like well I just put mine in gin uh, but you can put it in syrup if you want so we spent the afternoon cleaning them up and putting them in gin and putting them in simple syrup and then he's like, we're like what do we do now and he's like well you just leave it for six months and it, it'll change and turn into um, this really interesting concoction um, and we're like oh okay Probably about a month in, we noticed that the jars were like bubbling and Ooh. going nuts, and we're like, "This isn't like as a chef, you're like, this means something has gone horribly were they wrong." They in airtight jars. Yeah, we'd like yeah. gone through the home and we're like, "This something's gone really wrong here," Lovely. and they'd all changed colours and they had gone like almost like hibiscus red, and we're like, "Okay, this is really weird." So cool. we called up Joe, um, like, and he's also not the most savvy with a smartphone. I don't think he even has a smartphone, so it's not like you could take a picture and be like, "Joe, check this out." We're like, uh, "These jars are it. like bubbling, and they're like look like they're gonna. Expl- is this what is supposed to happen?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's fine." We're like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> like, we're kind of too scared to eat it, and like, it's making a mess everywhere. So then he rocks up as he does, and he like looks at it, and he's like, "No, that's normal. Try tasting it now," and it was just like this explosion of. Was like hibiscus and vanilla and pear. Wow. Like, and it was just like the color was so rich. So then um, by the time, so we did this before we opened the restaurant. By the time we opened the restaurant, all the jars were ready to go. And so the Wicked. first pre dessert we had um, on the menu had the kiki syrup with the kiki gin that we'd been infusing. It's actually the recipes in the book. Awesome. Um, it was, yeah, I think that would be like one of those moments where you're like, I have no idea what this is or what I'm working with. And I. And so Joe know. knows, yeah. but does anyone else know and use it? Well, they can now. Yeah. So <laughs> Joe told us and we told everyone in a book. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, so awesome. And that's a good reminder. We actually, I forgot to mention this earlier. We have a book to give away to our listeners. Uh, to enter the competition, please send us a photo or video of food that you've been cooking. Uh, and send that to Alice Neville at thespinoff.co.nz or at Dietary Requirements Podcast on Instagram. And be warned, we if it if it looks delicious enough, we'll post it to our social media. And if it looks really good, we'll send you a book. Woohoo! Ooh.
Without foresight or vision, the people will be lost. Kia ora koutou, I'm Stacey Morrison. Join me for Conversations That Count, Ngā Kōrero Whaitake, a new series brought to you by Massey University and the spin-off. I'll be chatting to academics, activists and industry leaders to turn a unique lens on the issues impacting Aotearoa and Te Ao From structural equality to liberalising drug policy, implications for our mokopuna and more will bring you thought-provoking kōrero about the things that count for all of us. New episodes will be available each month, so subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. But I actually got your book from my husband for my birthday recently. Awesome. Well, I don't have it, but I'm definitely going to get it now. Yeah, so it's, it's actually it's like so a cool. put next to the bed and spend six yeah. months reading bit yeah. by bit. Mm. It's awesome. So when I wrote about um, going to Hiakai, I wrote about the way the menu told me a story. It felt mm. like going on this really nostalgic um, mm. childhood journey through New Zealand, which yeah. I thought was really beautiful. And then to learn that your new menu is inspired by um, Patricia Grace's children's book, Watercrest Tuna and the Children of Champion Street, Tuna being the Māori word for eel. I thought that was a really wonderful idea to take something that, you know, an important story to you mm. and retell it through your food. How do you translate a book into food? That's a good question. That's... Um The, I guess that the creative process of that is just as painful as writing a book. Um, we basically what we'll start off doing is look at the book and like kind of discuss themes. That usually starts with um, myself, um, Katie, um, who's our general manager, and Olivia, who's the restaurant manager. We'll sit down and kind of go read the the source material and kind of go well. There's a few natural places to start. So this in the book, um, there's the magical tuna and tuna visits all the children and they all have like different backgrounds and they get different gifts given to them and then they dance on the street at the end. So we're like, okay. So some of the themes here are things like kotahitanga, which means like, you know, community and unity. Um, is obviously a strong theme of kanikani because they dance at every single house. There's all this multiculturalism, which is so ahead of its time because the book came out in 1984. Then there's Patricia Grace herself, who is uh, a New Zealand legend. Um, and then we went and met with her and had um, you know, some tea and ginger loaf at her house and you know, just kind of discussed like her reasons for writing the book and what was on her mind in 1984 and, you know, and her life's work. And then cool. we, we kind of, yeah, we just kind of do that to start with and then things slowly start to form and, like, these, <coughs> you know, this is a children's book, so childhood kind of feels like a natural place to start. The book was made in 1984, so let's do the next course, which pays tribute to 1984. Then the next course, let's pay tribute to the main character so that the next course is all about water question. And so you've got two ingredients there that are obviously natural places to start. Then the book is also taking place in Champion Street. And I grew up in Ascot Park. Nan, my grandma lives in Cannons Creek. I used to go up and down Champion Street 
constantly helping her doing groceries. And in the book as, as well, um, like there's um, Cannons Creek Primary School. My dad went there. The shops are there. Like everything as it was in the late 80s when I was a kid is there. So, you know, the next course is Champion Street. The next one after that is basically a tribute to Patricia Grace. So we do Wahine Tour. Um, so we'll integrate... Um, Polynesian and Māori ingredients as a tribute to both her and I as women working in you know, male-dominated industries and then have a course representing that. Then the next one is Kotahitanga, which is just like embracing the whole um, the book and like its themes of togetherness. And the last one is Kani Kani to talk about the book ends there with them dancing, well, they actually go to sleep at the end. It's quite cute. They're all in sleeping bags. Aww. But, like, right before <laughs> they all fall asleep, they're all dancing on the street and they dance all day, they dance all night. Um, but dancing they, has and to they be dessert yeah, course. So yeah, it's like so we, cool. Yeah, and then that's where it ends. What is the dessert course? The dessert course? So um, there's three dessert courses at the moment. So there's the Waihini Tour course, the Kotahitanga course, and then Kani Kani. Yeah. And um, and then I guess it, it sounds like we just kind of, like, it happened. It sounds way more structured than the actual processes. I mean, I think a lot of the team know when we're getting, like, down to the the pointy end of trying to figure out the courses and get it onto the menu that there's, you know, I can be a little bit... Don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, also, like, you I'm can an artist, don't talk to me. As you want, or you could be, like, as loose interpretation if yeah. that suits too, right? And it's like, funny too because once we get it on the menu, then we're, like, then seasons change and then we start doing little incremental changes. Yeah. As, so it's, like, the, the story you get, at the, so it changes basically, like, four times a year, the story, mm. and it will run for about three months. But the one you'll get at the start might be quite different to the one you'll get at the end of that three month period because so many ingredients have changed. Yeah. So like we've kind of been going cool. through that at the moment because obviously a lot of the summer produce Seasonal is starting to come through. I found that was so interesting um about dining at Hekai is that it was really nostalgic when it feels like it's such a future foodie experience. Yeah. You know, like you're sitting there eating flavours that feel really nostalgic and I loved your front of house team I think the person that Thank served you. us was like 16 years old and like <laughs> probably a bit older but just you know felt really young and really keen I want to know awesome. who they thought was 16 <laughs> honestly how Maybe what's smashing. the youngest waitress I mean this was like uh, maybe a year or a year ago? Oh, gosh, i got to wonder who that would have been. Maybe it was even... Well, how long's here kind of been open? Uh, since, well, almost two years. Yeah, I think two we came right months. at the start. But it just honestly felt like the coolest, freshest, young team that... We were a team of millennials. And yeah. that's what's quite quite cool, because, you know, millennials get a lot of stick for being, yeah. like, you know, lazy and this and that and, like, wishy-washy. No one works harder than But, them, like, our yeah. team is so hard-working. Yeah, totally. And I was... You know, stoked to see them at the awards last night. You know, People's Choice representing. Uh-huh. You know, it was cool. is really cool. And um, more inclined to be working in something that they're really passionate about. So if they get to work for you, then you know that's like the top of their game. So if yeah, they're, they're better than anyone would be. That was from another generation that was just doing something they felt like they should do. I think we have 
this is just me. Obviously, I'm biased. I think we have the best front of house team in the country. We're her. <laughs> yeah. But I'm obviously biased. It's like a mother with her children. I'm like, they are the best. They're so advanced. They're so advanced. They're the cutest. I thought they were awesome. Does it ever feel like a burden, Monique, in the way that you're talked about? You know, headlines are always New Zealand's most important chef. You know, there is what, you know, people often think of you as the only person who's holding Māori cuisine. Yeah. And, and, you know, you obviously stand on the shoulders of people like Joe. Um, does it feel, does it stress you out? Um, definitely. I think um, it's, I mean, it's an, an important, like, it's, it's an honour to be in that position, but also, you know, there is a, a lot of responsibility. And I think, um, yeah, I think I just try to not get too stressed out about it, but at the same time understand that what my position is in this, in the food world. I think just like by being you and doing what you're doing, you're kind of paving the way. But being told that you're paving the way is probably quite stressful. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, just let me do my thing because, you know, that's the way that it's, like, authentic to you and that you're doing such a great job. Yeah, I think I can get a little bit lost in my head sometimes of, like, oh, you know, like, is this, um, Hmm. you know, because there is a lot of pressure there, but then it's kind of like, well, just kind of stick to who you are and it should be okay that sounds like almost a naive way of thinking but is it such a different pressure because you know you've worked in high pressure kitchens in the more traditional sense and then it's like you know now you're at the helm and you've got the responsibility but does it feel different the responsibility and the pressure yeah I think I think there's just you know, different expectations of me than there was before. Um, yeah. And, but it's also just, it's a, you know, it, it, you, I've just, I'm very lucky to be in that position. So although there's a lot of pressure, it's kind of like, well, what an awesome life that we're living and like what awesome work we get to do. So mm. even though there's the pressure and, you know, it can be quite scary. Um, it's also like, well, look at what we've done. So, like, try to focus on that totally. rather than focus too much on the, the yeah, too much, too many outside. Yeah. Forces. And do you run your kitchen in a different way to the other kitchens that you've worked in? Like, does it feel unique? So. I'd say so. Um, I mean, for one, the kitchen's completely open during service, mm-hmm. so you know, there's not a lot of. Hiding, yelling, <laughs> <Anywhere>. screaming. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot Naughty more behavior. like non-verbal communication, and um, you know, it's it's a little bit more fun, and just kind of forces you to work in a way that's. You I mean you're on show the entire mm. time, um, so it's quite. What I quite like about it, and a lot of the cooks, when well, the chefs will talk about it too, is that because you can see the guests, it kind of makes you think a little bit more about what you're doing because yeah. it can be like when if a you're disconnect. working in a basement there's a disconnect you're like this is ticket you know 11 you know you don't know what they look like whereas when you're actually when you're at hair car you're like table six are these two people and yeah. like you know we've got to make they're going to look at me if I put this up funny yeah you know um That's but yeah awesome. so we have a very different team and our team as well is like there's there are sections but there isn't really sections so you know for service um, everyone 
has a different section they're doing for service. So there'd be like there's pastry, saute, grill, or on the counter. Um, but during prep, we all have a hand in different things, which mm. I think when people first start, they're like, oh, this is crazy. You know, like this is quite confusing. Mm. But then they wrap their head around it. So like everyone takes on like different things. So like even though I'm working grill at the moment, I also do like a lot of the pastry work. And, cool. And so everyone gets to learn a lot of different things. And then we'll switch the stations like mm. every like one or two months. So just as you're getting comfortable and you've like learned it, you then have to move, and it mo- and then it just makes that everyone knows how to help each other, um, and have respect for each other's roles because yeah. they realise like why you might need help when all these desserts are getting called away. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. How are you and your team after this year? Because obviously, been, it's been really horrific for hospitality. Yeah, you know, are you guys okay? And what did, have you learned about the industry from what COVID 19s given us? I, you know. Our team's, our team's awesome. Like, we're, we're doing okay. And I think um, the fact that the borders are closed and we're still fully booked months in advance just shows that there is a lot of local support for restaurants. And I think um, you know, New Zealand and like everything that happened with the lockdowns, like we've done really well as a country in comparison. So I, I just feel like I've, so many of my friends have been affected so much mm. more in the US and in Melbourne that, mm. like, I, I almost feel like there's no way I can complain, you know. I don't think, you know, I feel really lucky to be in this country. Mm. Um, did we have a stressful time during lockdown? Absolutely, everyone did. Um, and we had to change up a lot of things and the way we did things and the months afterwards was a lot of like trying to rebook people, trying to make sure we were dealing with social distancing. But we, it was also kind of this weird kind of team bonding where it made us so much closer as a group because we were all in, you know, stuck in it together and having to work it out as we went along. Um, but I think what's been good is it's kind of made, I don't know how it is in Auckland, but in Wellington I've noticed this massive change where people have kind of gone, right, that was really rough, we were forced to close, but rethink about how they are operating and whether they need to be open seven days a week or, like, Mm, whether they need to be doing this and that, like, cutting it right back and just making it um, a little bit more of a, I guess, like, a sustainable business. So I think that's one positive that yeah, I found it quite out. emotional, actually, watching, you know, our whole industry obviously panic initially, but the speed at which people would, like, pivot and come up with a food bag or yeah. take-home yeah, yeah. boxes or whatever, you know, like, that's really not easy. And I thought it was, um, yeah, I found it quite emotional how people just rolled up their sleeves and held their heads up high and went, you yeah. know, we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. And I think... Talking about a sustainable business means so much more than, um, you know, logging onto zero and looking at the profit margins. It's about investing in your staff and making sure that they're, you know, looked after mentally, uh, financially. And I I thought that was really cool how you gave everyone a week off. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, if anyone needs a week off, it's this year. Yeah. And especially in hospitality. So that was such an interesting idea. It was paid. It was a paid paid leave as well. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, no one had to use any leave or anything. We just paid for everyone to have a week off. And we need it because even though, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, but 
there was lockdown. Everyone got a chance to rest. It was like there was no rest during lockdown. No, no. it was different. It was, it was there was like the stress of like what are we coming back to and like planning for different scenarios mm. and like so once we got back into it and you know we'd been just running like hamsters on a wheel for months, you know, keeping everything running along. I think we were all like. All right, now we Whoa. actually need a real break because yeah. yeah. we're tired and we're about to go into Christmas. So we were like, let's just all go and do whatever we It's a good shout. I mean, I think it can't, it cannot be underestimated how disruptive the year's been for people emotionally and yeah. mentally, you know, yeah. like just because you're physically carrying on. Mm. Like I did a um, check-in survey with our Fatima's team at the end of um, – the first lockdown and it was kind of like a how are you are you mm. all good yeah can we help with anything blah blah blah. and they were really honest in their responses and the team weren't coping as well as I I presumed they were and yeah. I think it's just all the anxieties yeah. of you know I just we have a lot of, we have a lot of international mm. team members mm. you know um, and some of them so they're isolated yeah were you know they can't see their families yeah. some of them were actually due to go and leave to see mm. their families yeah, and then suddenly so that was cancelled like we yeah. had had a lot of things booked in like for events we were doing Melbourne Hong Kong the US all mm. cancelled you know and then like it was just kind of like your whole world changed so yeah. quickly and suspense <laughs> it was yeah yeah well, on that note, we're so grateful for you making time for us because you're literally one of the busiest people on the planet. <laughs> <And then laughs> Thank you. you. Thanks. Got very, very bad at saying no to things, so I'm, I'm grateful I'm for you coming in. <laughs> um, please go and get the book. If you don't win it, go and buy it. It's really beautiful. Photos by Amber Jane Bain, and I can't pronounce the... Manya Washsmith. It's absolutely stunning. Oh, Hardback. It's $65.00. From all good bookstores, but especially Unity, our friends at Unity Books. Very beautiful. Book. Published by Penguin Random House, who have been kind enough to gift us this one to give to you. And thanks again for joining us, Monique. We haven't even had time to drink the Kawakawa tea oh, that we yeah. foraged. Oh, oh, I love Kawakawa tea. Yeah, thanks, Monique. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm really thanks excited to eat Patricia's menu because that sounds. She's one of my favourite yeah. authors, and that sounds she's so cool. Such a legend. Her Wicked. daughter Mariyama has been doing lots of illustrations for oh. us at the moment. As oh, well. that's cool. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming. Really nice to meet you. Kaki to everyone. Kia ora e te iwi, te ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.